0: title i've given to this sermon or this talk i have with you is go away lord that's what they asked jesus to do in this text and there's another one like it that's probably the parallel text in luke chapter 4 and we get a little more information in that text as well as this but this text shows us that jesus was unwelcome in his hometown they knew him They knew what he did for a living. They said, isn't this the carpenter? So they knew his occupation. They knew his folks. Now this text doesn't say that they knew Joseph, but Luke chapter 4 names Joseph. So they knew his parents. They knew Joseph and Mary. They knew his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters. From the text in Luke chapter 4, they heard him speak, and as he spoke... He spoke very eloquently to them and referred them to a passage in the book of Isaiah. Now, when he finished talking to them, it says in this text and in Luke 4, they were offended in him. He hurt their feelings. He irritated them. They stumbled at what he had to say. They stumbled at him and they asked him to leave. In Luke chapter 4, verse 28 through 30, they took him outside of town, and they were going to throw him over a cliff, get him out of our lives. This world would be a horrible place without Jesus. Mm -hmm. To think about it, it staggers the imagination. I'm going to refer you to something that, that is probably going to take place on TV in the next month. And it's a, it's, a, it's a story called It's a Wonderful Life. And it stars Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. And it talks about, and it, it's actually from a book that was written by a fellow by the name of Philip Van Doren Stern in 1939. But this movie was made in 46 after the war. And it depicts what would happen if a good man, just one good man from one little town, was never born. His name was George Bailey. I I want to tell you this. My family watches this show every year. All of of my kids, everywhere they live right now, they watch it and the grandkids watch it too. So, George Bailey is thinking, wouldn't this be a better place if I had never been born? Now, that's what Job said, wasn't it? Job said in chapter 3, verse 3, and Job actually took it one step further. He said, I shouldn't even have a birthday. The day that I was born shouldn't even be around. He said, "He said, let the day perish that I was born. So just think of this. He was so upset with himself being born. He said, don't even let that day appear on your calendar. And he said at verse 11, he said, why didn't I die from the womb? Why was I ever born? He was in the throes of depression. Now, George Bailey got into that situation because he was head of a little savings and loan and they came into some deep financial problems on Christmas Eve. And in trying to solve those, those money problems, financial problems, he lived in a place called Bedford Falls. And for those of you who are kind of connoisseurs of this, there's a little town in upper, upper New York that claims that they were Bedford Falls. And every year they have, they have a festival every year celebrating this, this uh, movie. Anyway, he had inherited the savings and loan from his father and his uncle was in the loan business with him. The uncle actually lost the money. But George took it upon himself that he had, he had made the problems and so he couldn't, he couldn't bail everybody out and he wanted, he wanted so much in order to, to make sure that everything went well, that he said, he said, why was I ever born? And he went out on a bridge and he threw himself in the water. And uh, there was another fellow in the water before him named Clarence Oddbody. and That was an angel. And George jumped in to save Clarence Oddbody and brought him out. And the angel then gave him his wish that he was never born. So then when George went back to town Christmas Eve... Instead of finding the nice little hamlet that he was a, a part of, he found that that his nemesis, uh, Henry Potter, who was the greedy banker, had turned the town into what is called Pottersville, and it was a slum, and the little houses that the savings loan could have financed were not there. And so Bedford Falls had disappeared and become a slum rather than a, a nice little community. So he got, he's got his wish. And, of course, the, the movie shows how that, how that worked out. The, the thing is, even though the saving of Old Bailey and Lone helped the community, the story is, what would happen if just one good man was never born? The contemplation of a world without Jesus is as terrifying as that story, if you watch it. And on a magnitude thousands of times worse than that which Bedford Falls endured without George Bailey. Jesus, by his presence in this earth, has exalted the human race. He has elevated morality. He has encouraged decency and honesty. He has inspired selfless sacrifice for the good of others. He has ennobled the sanctity of human life. He's provoked peace and he has instilled hope in the human heart. The world can ill do without him. We cannot do without Jesus. And if we were to ask him to leave we would be in, in a horrible, horrible situation. On a personal level, on a practical day-to-day level, what would happen to us if we ask Him to leave our lives? Don't, don't be around anymore. Go outside. I have some decisions to make. And wait for me on the corner. I don't want you present when I'm going to do certain things. Now, I want to hasten to tell you this. That Jesus is not a Harvey the Rabbit character imagination. He is a real, real entity. He is real. Jesus is real. If He's not real, you aren't either. And He is an issue of faith. He comes to us through this Word. He is the Word. He's the Word. And He is the power in the whole universe. He created everything that we see. He is... By faith in our lives. And that's not unusual. That's not something that, that should not be understood by everyone. Jesus Christ exists. He existed then. He exists now. And it's by a matter of faith that we believe in Him and not in ourselves. That's the whole issue. When When your children, grandchildren go to school and they're taught evolution... They're taught a theory that says, we are the God, and He doesn't exist. And that's exactly what evolution is trying to tell you. We are the God. We created ourselves. The material body has nothing to do with who you are, except this is what the vehicle God gave you to live in. One of these days, you're going to lay this down and go on. But you won't disappear. You will not disappear. And you are here irrespective of what your body looks like. You are here. You are here because you are an individual. You are a soul and a spirit. And by faith, we believe that Jesus Christ can come into our lives, literally come into our lives, in our heart. We believe in Him him by faith. If we don't believe in Him... That doesn't mean he doesn't exist. What if some some shall not believe? Paul made the argument in Romans chapter 3. Shall their unbelief make the faith of God of no effect? God forbid. Just because we don't believe in him, doesn't mean he's there. When you start not believing in him, you can start not believing in yourself, your own existence. That's exactly what's going to happen. And you're going to start questioning everything but Jesus Christ comes into our heart by faith we invite him into our lives God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life your faith tells you that Jesus is real and he's here and he can enter your heart if you open your heart and let him in and he can guide and direct your life through the most wonderful book that this world has ever seen It is His everlasting, living Word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word shall never pass away. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said. It will never pass away. Because that's the avenue by which Jesus enters into your heart. Okay? I'm making some arguments to you. I just want you to be sure that you're aware of this. You're willing to let Jesus into your heart by faith, and then you submit yourself to Him... In baptism, that's where it all begins, you join yourself to Him, you're baptized into Christ, you're baptized into His death, you rise again to walk with Him in newness of life. So He's in your life. If He's in your heart by faith, He's in your life. Now, we engage with Him daily. And when we are in Jesus Christ and He's in our lives... Then, he is family. Have you ever heard the, thing, the statement? Everything is blood. What does that mean? That means we are related, doesn't it? Most important thing, I've heard people say this years and years. Most important thing on this earth is blood. What they mean is family. We're family. And as a matter of fact, when you open your heart to Jesus Christ... And he comes into your life, he's gonna take you home and introduce you to his father. Wow. When I was a kid, that was a great that was a great treat, wasn't it? Some kid says, Hey, come home and meet my parents. Well, wow, that that was that was an honor. I'll go meet your parents. Jesus said, Come with me, I'll introduce you to my father. Because we are related. You have invited me into your home. I'm inviting you into my home. Come meet my Father. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. The text says, it tells us this in, in so many ways. It's very stilted language, but still we understand it. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes afar off, are made near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace, who has made both one, broken down the middle wall of partition that was between us, took it out of the way, having abolished in the flesh the commandments in the law of, having abolished the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances to making himself of two, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, came and preached peace to you which were far off, to them that are nigh, for through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Okay. Let Jesus in. He'll take you and introduce you to His Father. That's exactly what He's saying. You can get to the Father through me. And as a family, He is our brother. And it's a precious relationship. He's our brother. Jesus is our brother. He's your older brother. He's your bigger brother. And aren't you proud of him? I'll tell you what I am. I'm proud of everything that Jesus did. I'm proud of everything that he is. Ephesians or Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says, It became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, that's us, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. In other words, he's better than all of us. I had kids when I was a young young fellow. I had kids that, that uh, had older brothers. I didn't. They had older brothers. and Man, were they proud of those boys. You ought to meet my older brother. He can do this. He can do that. He can jump this high. He can run this fast. He can do all these things. Proud of their brother. He said, "...both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one." For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name unto my brethren in the midst of the church, will I sing praise to you? You're part of the family, of the family of God, because Jesus has claimed you as his sister or his brother. And we should never be ashamed of him. Never be ashamed of Jesus. I know you're thinking, I'm not ashamed of him. We have to be careful on this point. Because sometimes we are. Sometimes we're ashamed to claim him, that he's our brother. I heard something not long ago, where someone said, well, they, they had a decision to make, and they were talking to someone about a business decision. And in the business decision, the the, the person that was going to get involved in the business said, I, I, I have to go talk to Jesus about this first. And you know what the other people said? They 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 sort of ridiculed that. Talk to Jesus? What are you, you, some kind of religious nut? What the person was saying was, I've got to go talk to my brother. I need need to get his advice. I need to know what he thinks about what I'm going to do. Are you ashamed to say that? That you need to talk to Jesus before you make a decision? that, That you need to get his advice too? Well... As the saying goes, Jesus is not our nerdy brother that doesn't have a family likeness that we're ashamed of. No, he's not. I'm proud of my brother. Are you proud of your brother? You say, well, you know, how can we be proud? Is it right or wrong to be proud? It's wrong to be proud of myself because I have nothing to offer But it's not wrong to be proud of Jesus Christ. I'll show you that in just a second. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Let this man be in you which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, where God also has highly exalted him, given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. You know what? He's one. He's higher than anybody. He's better than anybody. Now then, Psalms 34 verse 2 says, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. I should be proud of God, and I should boast about him. That's what this text says. I should boast about Him. Psalms 44 verse 8 says, In God we boast all the day long and praise Your name forever. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to boast about God. I'm going to boast about Jesus. Our brother's the best. He's the best. You know, it, it does. it's not hard for us to boast about individuals that, that we think are outstanding. We talk about our first responders. We talk about our military. We talk about uh, those who are in service to others and we're proud of them and we should be. And so we talk about the fireman or fire the uh, man or woman who's in the, in the fire suit and they go rushing into a burning building and they come out in a smoke filled corridor and are carrying two little infants and leading a mother bringing them to safety and we applaud them that's the most wonderful thing we've ever seen. And it is. But I'll tell you what, my, my friend. Jesus went into the jaws of hell by himself. And when he came out, he came out carrying all of us to safety. That's what he did. That's what my brother did. That's what your brother did. And I'm proud of that. My brother died for me. He gave his life for me and he gave his life for everybody else. Now, That being said, let's see, what do I do, Bob? That's it. Our brother's the best. He's the best. To us, Jesus is a genius. He's a genius. Not just a genius, he is the the greatest genius. He knows more than anybody else knows. Now, I know people are going to argue, if they're evolutionists, they're going to say, Oh, There are a lot of smart people that don't believe in Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. Most smart people believe in God. Believe that or not. Most smart people believe in a higher power. They really do. But aside from that, I believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and was. And that He is God and that He knows everything. That if there's anything to be known, He knows it. And He knew it before anybody else knew it. He was from the beginning. Okay. He is the smartest. He's the strongest. He's the bravest. He's the gentlest. He's the kindest and nicest and most talented brother the world has ever known. He'll never embarrass us. He'll never disappoint us. He will never abandon us because he's our brother. Now among the greatest and most acclaimed men and women of the earth, he towers over all of them. To whom can we compare Jesus, if he created everything and I believe that he did, and I believe we can de- I, I believe that can be demonstrated. I actually believe you can demonstrate God is I believe that, and I believe that there have been a lot of arguments, a lot of atheists trying to disprove God, but it's, uh, it all falls flat when you begin to talk about man as he is rather than the body that he lives in, when you begin to talk about man being able to use the brain, which is the most complex order on this earth that has ever been on this earth, how that you talk about the brain and what it does. You're, when you get when you begin to talk about evolution, you're talking about, well, here's something that, here's a mass of material that simply rolled along down through time and finally came up so that it can, has the capacity to think about itself. <laughs> sure it can. That it can think about itself? No, you think about the brain. You think about the brain. And you exist apart from your brain. You use your brain. Most of us do. Some of us do use our brains. But it's the most complex organ in the world. God created that. If, If we think that we created ourselves, we're of all men most foolish. I didn't create me. God created me. My body, my mom and dad did that. But me, build, God created me. And I live in this body. I'm not a toe and I'm not a knee and I'm not a foot and I'm not the hind end. I am me. And this body belongs to me. And I can, I have memory and I have the ability to think abstractly I can conceive of. I can look at my own brain. The brain is not me. I can do that. I can live outside my body, and I do. Because I can see what my body is. Evolution does not deal with memory. It does not deal with abstract thinking. It does not deal with what the mind can do and is. It does not deal with any of that. It just says, oh look, here's how we tumbled down through time, and we became who we are. That's foolish thinking. It's foolish thinking. God, it, it comes down to the Oakham's razor concept. You either believe that the dumb, blind, material world created itself. But for you to be able to believe that, you've got to think about how you got your mind, how you got your memory, how you got yourself. But anyway, that the, that the dumb, blind, sightless, mindless undirectionless universe created itself or that there is intelligent design is the mind, is the brain does it have a design (laughs) you know it used to startle me that doctors that worked on me believed in God then I got thinking, well what, what better people than these that would believe in God they believe in God, most of them believe in Jesus Christ Why? Because they deal with this magnificent organism that we call our body. And Oakham's Razor said, the theory that has the less possibilities, less less difficulties, is the one that's right. And design and a designer and a god who created anything has less difficulties than a theory that says it just happened. But, aside from that, let's talk about this, just a minute. In the matter of science... Isaac Newton had developed three laws, didn't he? Uh, first, second, and third law. He designed the law of entropy, and he designed the law of gravity, or he discovered them. You know what? My brother made those laws. My brother did that. He's the one that made gravity. Well, wow. So I, I, I magnify and I praise Newton, but I'll tell you what, all he did was find out what my brother did. That's all that he did. Einstein, with his theory of relativity, the same thing, John Dalton and the Adam they all discovered what my brother made that's why and i 'm going to boast about that I'm going to tell you right now what a what a creator he is art, not art artistic things, artistic creations, Titian and Matisse and Raphael and Da Vinci, Gauguin and Monet and Manet and Dali and Botticelli and all these impressionists, all of these uh, portraitists, all of these who are are, are uh, painting landscapes, all of these beautiful things that they paint. They're painting what my brother made. He made the model so they're just painting what he did they're not creating anything and you know what my brother created the eye the human eye he created the eye that has the ability to see because he created the light prism that goes that passes through water and etc he made colors my brother made the color he made the palette so that I can through my rods and cones in my eye I can perceive color and I can see it with depth perception. Isn't that amazing? You know what? These, these masterpieces that we put up in our museums and people go and adore, they're adoring what my brother made. And these fellows are representing them, replicating them. We just recently discovered the, the uh, double helix in the DNA of the human body. My brother made that. He made that double helix. So that genetically you can be who you are. He made that. He designed it. And it took us thousands of years before we can finally discover it. But it's been there all along. My friend, do not let Jesus out of your life. Keep him there. Keep him there. Don't ask him to leave don't say pardon me Jesus well I've got some things I need to do that I think would embarrass you because he's not going to embarrass you don't say hey I, I don't I don't I don't feel comfortable with with this language that I'm going to use but I'm going to use it you know I've I preached for years and sometimes a fellow will come along and man or woman and they'll use Coarse language. Oh, pardon me, preacher. I didn't mean that. I didn't know you're a preacher. You didn't insult me, but you sure insulted my brother. He didn't like that when you used his name to curse me. You didn't. My brother didn't like that. Don't let him out of your life. God help you keep him because he is your brother and he's the best. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.